Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. How about if we just, uh, if we settle in for a few moments from our break, just connect with being here together. Not trying to make anything happen, just connecting with this moment. Welcome back. So I'm going to talk for a while and uh, then we'll hopefully have some time for conversation at the end. And I wanted to talk today on the, uh, the first aspect of the title of this retreat, finding centering, finding your center and then becomes a gift to others. So I wanted to explore finding our center. This is such an intense time that we're all going through and so many different feelings can come up. As I said the other day, and I wanted to start by uh, reflecting that even if you've been doing practice for, for quite a while and have a, a fairly good depth of practice, uh, we can still get stirred up. And what particularly showed this to me the other day, um, was a couple of weeks ago, um, a friend who I, I think I mentioned at the very beginning, uh, I am working with some people who are on the front lines. Um, and I can only imagine what that's like being on the front lines, but this, uh, dear friend of mine who's been practicing, she's done month long retreats and um, does beautiful teaching. Uh, she is the in charge of mental health and well-being in, uh, in Canada of a large network of hospitals as they're going through this uh, current crisis. And uh, she and they have been working nonstop. They're nurses who've been assigned uh, to the COVID wards uh, without them realizing it. Um, and there was some initial, some pushback there and some fear. And the psychiatrists that she works with uh, have their own great tension around, uh, around what's coming up. And so she reached out to me and she said, I'm, I'm having, I'm having a, a hard time here. It's a bit overwhelming. And uh, I think I could use some support. And I said, I'm always happy to support you, all the work that you're doing. Uh, and uh, she spoke for a while. I said, let's, I just want to hear what's going on for you. 
And she initially just spoke about all the things that she's been going through for the, the last weeks and months, many, many um, uh, complicated situations. And um, she just was getting it off her chest. And I was just there to listen. I wasn't going to stop. I wasn't going to ask anything. I just let her talk and just being there. Mm, uh -huh. Tell me more. Tell me more. And uh, I said, we have as long as you want. And we knew we could take a little while. And then after some time, it was at least half an hour, maybe 40 minutes or so. She'd been carrying this all for, for weeks. And when I felt that she had gotten enough out that then it was just becoming what in Buddhist teachings is called papancha, where the mind is just proliferating and spinning on itself. Um, I said, okay, let's just stop here for now. I think I, uh, I've heard you know, so much of what you're going through. What are you feeling? And as we went inside, I said, you know, don't have to say any more. Just go inside and let me know what, what's going on for you. And as she went inside, I said, just make space for it all. And inside of a few moments, the, the tears flowed and sobbing. And we let that happen for some time. And at some point, the sobs subsided. And then we said, okay, now let's just hold it all. As the sobs subsided and there was a discharge of all of that energy, um, there was a, a calming down. Um, and at some point, we uh, did a, a little bit of a practice, a centering practice, which I'm going to share with you um, in a little while. Uh, but by the end of the hour and a half that we were on uh, together, there was a whole different, uh, not just demeanor, but uh, energy in the call. And she wrote me the next day and, and a few days later, not only has it felt different for me in here, but I've been able to go back and be a support for others in a whole different way. And that to me really um, points to the process that I think is healthy and healing for all of us. That first we need to just let it all out and uh, let ourselves be heard. If it's possible for somebody to hear you, um, then that shared holding of your story makes such a difference. There are studies that show when somebody is going through physical or psychological distress, if there's another person who can hold your hand, your level, your threshold of, of um, distress, uh, you have much greater capacity to deal with the emotional distress. And we probably all know how that's so when we feel alone, we're here uh, and nobody understands. Um, it's very different than when there's somebody there who says, oh, 
I care, I, I get it, wow, I'm right here with you. And they don't even have to fix you. All they have to do is be a loving presence for you. Well, we can do that for ourselves as well. And of course, it's wonderful if, if we have good friends that we can reach out to, one of the most important things. And I hope there's someone in your, in your life that you can, uh, can do that, perhaps a few. But the first step in finding our own center is just in getting in touch with everything that's in here, that's inside, not pretending it's all okay, not pretending that, uh, oh, I'm a spiritual person and I, you know, I should have this figured out, but just letting ourselves feel and grieve and somehow to create a space for that to be not only okay, but to be held, to simply acknowledge what's happening now. You know, I read that poem a little while ago, that poem, allow, just allow. That is the key word to simply let it be here. And as we learn to hold it with that wise, kind place inside, then it's like holding a dysregulated child, someone who's having a meltdown. The way I see it, we're all just little boys and girls in big bodies when we get activated. And there's a wise one that knows how to hold it as well. So I'm going to share with you a few practices as we go through, uh, through this time together. And the first practice, probably many of you are familiar with, but uh, I don't think it can be overstated is the self-compassion practice of just learning to hold all the feelings, not fix them, not even try to apply mindfulness that transforms them, but just allow them, just letting them be. And this is a practice that um, Kristen Neff and Christopher Germer, who are two practitioners in our community, uh, put together in a beautiful package uh, called Mindful Self-Compassion. And this is the self-compassion break. And I want to share it with, with you. Probably a number are already are familiar and maybe even teach it to others. But let's do it together just to remember. Right? So I invite you first to um, close your eyes if you feel like it. And first get in touch with all the feelings that you've been holding or maybe are holding right now, whether there's sorrow for the world or concern for a loved one or grieving or joy or possibility or hope, whatever it is, but particularly if there are feelings that need loving attention Allow them to be here. And if none come up, it's okay. You can practice this anyway, and it'll still be applicable when, when others do. And by the way, we'll be posting this practice up on the, the homepage. So don't worry about writing down the notes. It'll be up there uh, later on today. So the first step, the way I do it, is to... Um, put your hand either on your heart or some area that feels 
comfortable for you to do. It could be your uh, touching your cheek or giving yourself a hug or holding your, your head in your hands, but just so that you can feel a tender touch there. The way that Kristen and, and Christopher Germer do it, they, they generally suggest touching your, your heart area. Um, any touch like this is known to uh, release oxytocin, which is the feel-good hormone, uh, and also stimulates the vagus nerve that there's a compassion nerve that goes right through your, your center. And without doing anything else, just feel the tenderness in that touch. And actually, if you don't remember anything but this, this is good enough. This is the basic essence of it. But there are a few reflections that they uh, suggest three in particular, and I'll use my own variation of them. The first is just to acknowledge that you're having a hard time. Wow, well, this is hard. This is a moment of suffering right now. And that's bringing mindfulness to witness what's here. This is hard. And then the second reflection is seeing that you're not alone, feeling the commonality of, of the human experience. Oh, this is part of life. This is something we're all going through right now, as far as this situation. I'm not alone in this. And you might think of the millions and millions of people who are experiencing what you're experiencing right now. And as you reflect that, on that, you can perhaps feel compassion for all of them. I'm not alone in this. This is part of life we're all going through. And then the last reflection is inviting some kindness. May I hold this, this suffering, all of these feelings, may I hold them with kindness and compassion. Just inviting that. And as you're doing that, I like to think of the, the one inside that needs comforting is being held by the wise part of you that knows just how to comfort. So there's a, a feeling of coming into wholeness, all the different parts of you, the wise, compassionate one holding the scared one or hurting one inside.
You can let yourself come out very gently. And with that, you didn't need to fix, you didn't need to get rid of anything. And just like a, a parent holds a, a child who's going through a hard time in their better moments, just to hold them. I, I write about it in, uh, in, in my book that when my son Adam was very young, and he was, uh, he'd have a meltdown when he was like two or three, he's now 33 years old. Um, and when he'd have a hard time and, and uh, have a tantrum, we'd go through this little uh, ritual together. And I'd say, do you want me to tell you the people who love you? And he'd generally nod. We knew this routine. And I'd hold him and I'd say, Mommy loves you, and Daddy loves you, and Grandma loves you, and Aunt Susan loves you. And we just go on and on. He would just kind of melt as we went through the, the process. Because that's what happens when we're dysregulated and we can be held and just comforted. If we're judging ourselves and saying, come on now, get it together. You know, you're a meditator, you've done eight retreats, you know, all that does is contract the mind and create more pain and suffering. It's what's called uh, adding a second arrow on top of the first. The first one is hard enough, but then when you add on to that, oh, I'm so pathetic for feeling all of these feelings, that's when it really gets confusing and painful. So this is the first step in finding our center to just somehow learn to hold our feelings, not to get rid of them, but actually as we hold them and honor them, we're learning how to hold and honor those feelings when others outside are experiencing. We're not so frightened of touching them because we've learned to hold it for ourselves. And this is a a process that takes patience. Uh, so you might forget, but at any time you can remember and come back and say, oh yes, I just forgot. Well, I got lost there for a while. <clears throat> it's not getting rid of anything. It's not what's happening that's so important. It's having a loving relationship to what's happening, a wise relationship to what's happening. So then it's not necessarily that it's so linear and neat, but when you have regulated yourself enough so that you're, uh, uh, you're somewhat a bit more calmed down, then to find your center, and this is another practice I wanna share with you uh, that I've been doing lately. That's a really beautiful practice that uh, Jack Cornfield um, does, and this is my adaptation of this practice. And this is finding that wise part of you that, um, that knows calm and centeredness, okay? So, second practice, I'm gonna do a few today. <clears throat> 
like you to once again go inside and uh, when you're doing this and if you could stay relatively uh, still um, just so that uh, there's not too much movement because I'm looking at all of you and uh, uh, love to feel the connection and the calm and suppose you're going through a hard time right and you don't know how to find a, a place of calm inside this is something to offer you i'd like you as you go inside to think of a being that for you embodies calm and centeredness can be the Dalai Lama or the Buddha or Kuan Yin or uh, some holy person or somebody that you know personally that when you're around them calms you down. It could be a teacher, somebody inspiring. And bring them into your consciousness right now. As you close your eyes and have an image, just get a sense of them and their whole essence that embodies calm. And just even being in their presence, noticing how it affects you as you think of them see them here you might imagine what it's like for them to be so centered what their perspective is just imagine for a few moments inhabiting their reality if you can if you can't don't make a uh, don't make it a struggle but just imagine being that centered through all the ups and downs how do they do it And now imagine them looking right at you and you could look back at them and there they are transmitting that calm to you as a gift, as a transmission, sharing it with you. smiling at you letting you know that you can tune into this as well just sharing the energy field together and now as you look they reach from underneath their jacket 
their clothing, and they present you with a gift wrapped in nice packaging for you to remember when you get lost and confused. And they say, please open it. And you untie the, the ribbons and the packaging and there's a symbol in there, a gift that symbolizes what they want you to remember. The message in that gift, see what is there as you open and take a good look at it. And then they bow to you in recognition of your own Buddha nature. And then they dissolve into your own consciousness and realizing that's where they came from to start. If you can imagine that calm being and they can calm you down, then you have that capacity right inside of you. It's not outside. It's just remembering to tune into that place of centeredness and connection and wisdom and love. And know that it's here, whenever you forget, first you need to just allow what's here, calm down, and then remember that you have that centeredness right within you too. Let yourself come out slowly. So this is something actually of what we're learning to do in one way or another in the meditation practice itself. You know, as you're sitting here, you might be wondering if this is relatively new to you. What's the point in sitting if my mind is all over the place, or I have all of these swirls of emotion, uh, and I'm not as calm or concentrated. This is the practice. You probably have seen images of the Buddha uh, just before he was enlightened. There's uh, one, one gesture where he's touching his hand to the ground just before uh, he becomes enlightened. As Mara the embodiment of confusion and um, and uh, temptation is um, is confusing him with arrows, Mara's army shooting arrows at him to scare him, and then enticing him with celestial nymphs 
and then with doubt, who, what do you think you are doing here? And the Buddha is just sitting with it all and finally touches the earth. Ah, the earth is my witness. I can be here with anything. All the work that I've done for countless lifetimes. Uh, and then he is enlightened. And that the image of the Buddha sitting there is really the archetype of what we're doing in our own sitting practice. We're here, whether it's pleasant, whether it's unpleasant, whether it's confusing. Oh, confused Buddha, that's what's happening. Or, oh, meltdown Buddha, that's what's going on right now. Oh, happy Buddha or calm Buddha. And here you are, you can be here with anything. And that's what we're practicing a little at a time. Of course, it's important to know what your capacities are. So you don't want to go in over your head, what I, what I call titrating our dukkha, you know, just a little at a time, titrating our suffering. And so when it gets to be a struggle and we're overwhelmed, okay, then we back off. But not to, uh, not to sell yourself short and thinking, oh, I, I don't know if I can handle this. So that's one aspect on, on the meditation practice. First, allowing and then uh, calming down and then finding our center in the midst of it all. Now, another thing that I, I want to put out to you, especially in these times, is the lens through which you look at reality. There's lots of stories going on these days. Uh, you probably have taken a peek at the news from time to time, uh, maybe not today or yesterday, um, but it's hard not to be bombarded with the stories of craziness and, and ignorance and people acting in anger and protesting and uh, and being somewhat divisive. And then there are such beautiful stories of inspiration and compassion and care. You know, I, I saw a video when this first started of the toilet paper wars, there was this uh, riot and there was somebody was filming it in, uh, in, in Sydney, it was, uh, and these people were, were struggling and uh, battling each other over lots of toilet paper. And then there was like a riot that happened in this one store is quite astounding. Um, and then I heard that this, the next day of this story of these, uh, these people who were in, it wasn't in, in Sydney, it was, it was someplace else where there were, there was hoarding going on. And these two people had cases, had a couple of cases of toilet paper under their arm. And at some point they looked at each other and they said, we don't need all this toilet paper. And they put their extras, extra cases back. And then they looked at each other and they said, you know, one of these cases has a lot of toilet paper, let's share. So they opened up the case and they shared. And then the word got around this big store that these people were sharing instead of hoarding. And the whole store turned into this shared cooperative experience. The hoarding stopped and everyone started sharing. We are very susceptible to the energies around us. 
And what we look for, we'll find, I think I might have shared this the other day, our confirmation bias. What we look for, we'll see. And if we look for how people are acting crazy and the world is going down the tubes, there's enough out there to corroborate that and dishearten us. But if we look for the good and see through the eyes of how much people care, um, that's a whole different reality that inspires us. And to um, underscore this, uh, I, I want to share a video uh, with you. And Brian, are you there? Are you uh, ready to, to queue up? Um, this is before, before you, yeah, oh, you can open it up. Before you start it, this is from the Belfast response team to the COVID uh, uh, virus. And uh, as I think I might have mentioned, Ireland has one of the best, um, uh, best statistical responses to the virus. Very few deaths. They are very, very cooperative, right next to the UK, which has a very, very different story. So this is uh, called Love in Action, uh, put together by the Belfast response team. Just take a look. Okay, Brian. When you go out and see the empty streets, the empty football fields, the empty GA pitches, even the empty children's play parks, don't say to yourself, it looks like the end of the world. What you're seeing is love and action. What you're seeing in those empty spaces is how much we do care for each other. We care for our grandparents, for our parents, our brothers and sisters, for all those with underlying health problems. We care for people we will never meet. People will lose jobs over this. People will lose their businesses, and some will also lose their lives. This is all the more reason to just take a moment when you're out on your walk, or on your way to the shops, or just watching the news, to look into the emptiness and marvel at all of that love. Let it fill you, and let it sustain you. It isn't the end of the world. It is the most remarkable act of global solidarity we may ever witness in our lifetime. So stay safe, folks. Stay at home. And God bless you all. Thanks, Brian. Isn't that just not just beautiful, but illuminating? 
there it is. We can look out and see the desolation and see, oh gosh, what has happened to humanity? How awful. Or just with a, a bit deeper perception, we can see, wow, people really care. Look at this. We're all in this together. All it just takes is a, a slightly uh, different focusing of reality. How much people care. That's why for me, I am somewhat hopeful. And I, for me, it, it always, um, that's my first tack to see what's the most inspiring possibility. Not that it's guaranteed. You've got to show up as best you can to do your part to make it happen. But if you have an inspiring vision, and if you look for the good, you have a much better chance of bringing it out. It's one of my, my basic practices. The more you look for the good, the more you will actually bring it out in others. As I often mention on retreats, you know, if somebody comes into a room and they're looking at you and they're seeing all your flaws and you sense that they're judging you, how do you feel? Probably flawed or small or defensive or not so, not so um, uh, at ease. But if somebody is, comes into that room and you know they're tuning into your beauty and your goodness, how do you feel? Beautiful. We are very much affected by what people uh, bring to us. And so you can be um, that person who brings out the best in others just by what you look for. If you're looking for how everybody's going to disappoint you or um, this is, this is going to be, uh, we're all doomed, uh, that's the lens you'll see, and your brain actually will not pick up everything that doesn't corroborate that. It's called the confirmation bias. And if you look for the goodness in people, like in that video, and you start seeing how we're all in this, trying to do the best we can, we all want to be safe, we all want to uh, care for our loved ones, we all basically uh, want to learn to love even those who don't realize it the more you look for it the more you'll find it so what you look for makes a huge difference in this finding your own center it's one of the basic principles that i teach is uh, one of the buddha's main teachings in wise effort he says not only learn to deal with the unwholesome states and when they've arisen learn to overcome them. Those are, that's very, very important, like we just did with the self-compassion practice or the RAIN practice of you know, just recognizing and allowing and investigating and not identifying with our experience. But he said also cultivate wholesome states like mindfulness and compassion and generosity. And when they've arisen, don't miss them. Don't miss them to be there and let yourself actually feel the wholesomeness of that. As uh, I think uh, the Buddha, I, I mentioned the Buddha saying, when you're in the middle of an uplifting state, notice it 
and feel the gladness connected with the wholesome. He has this one example in one discourse where he says, um, if you're in the middle of a generous act, he says, think to yourself, I'm being generous now. He says, this is a good thing. Not, oh, I hope everybody sees how generous I am, but rather, oh, it feels so good for generosity to move through me. And he says, that gladness connected with the wholesome, I call an equipment of mind to overcome all ill will and hostility. So when you're in the middle of a wholesome quality, kindness or compassion or love or generosity or patience, don't miss it. Not just know, oh, doing pretty good now, but tune into, oh, this is what it feels like to feel good. Because when you do that and you shine a light of awareness on it, you deepen the impact of that wholesome state. Mm -hmm. And when you are able to tune into the good, or you're able to give enough space around the challenging, like we did a little while ago, we're also able to listen to the wisdom right inside of us, which is one of the great gifts of a spacious mind and heart. You're not figuring out the answers. You're rather listening to the truth inside. And probably most of you know the difference between getting into that figuring out mode that says, what do I do now? And what if I blow it? Or I don't know, or how can I come up with the answer? Or what's going to happen next? Rarely does that get you in touch with your deepest understanding. In fact, there's a, a research uh, study that says uh, the new solutions and fresh ways of seeing a problem do not typically come from worrying, especially chronic worry. Instead of coming up with solutions to these potential problems, worriers typically simply ruminate on the danger itself, immersing themselves in a low-key way in the dread associated with it while staying in the same rut of thought. So worrying when you don't have enough information about what's to come, you're just in that rut and you can't get the space to let the wisdom emerge. And so rather than trying to figure out what's about to happen when you don't have enough information, go inside and listen to the truth rather than figure out. And the archetype that I find helpful for this is the Tibetan image of Milarepa. Milarepa, you can always tell it's Milarepa because he has his hand to his ear. He's the great Tibetan yogi. And you can see in the, uh, in the images in the Tibetan tankas, Milarepa has his hand to his ear. He's listening to the song of the Dharma. And really it means he's listening to the truth inside. And this is what we can do, probably when you are in touch with your own wisdom, when something becomes clear, it's usually not because 
you're so clever. Ha, I got that one figured out. But rather there's an openness that says, aha, oh, this is the next step. This is what needs to happen. And so it's rather listening than figuring out. And the wisdom is right inside of you. It just takes quieting down enough and getting enough space in the mind and the heart so that you can um, hear the truth like Milarepa does. Mm -hmm. And the more we can get in touch with our own truth, the more we can tune into the wisdom and the love that's inside that wants to come out, the more we can then transmit it and share it with others. And people can feel it. People can feel our centeredness, our calm, our caring. We don't have to fix. We are just kind of reminding others of that place inside of them as well. And the way I see it, the wisdom or the love, it doesn't belong to anyone. It's just moving through us. It's just love finding itself or calm, balance, finding itself, awareness, ultimately finding itself, loving awareness that we can wake up in each other. So we start by centering ourselves and then we offer that as a gift to others. Mm. So I'll end if I can find with a short poem that I love and then maybe we can open it up and see if there's any comments or questions. This is a beautiful poem by Jennifer Wellwood. It's called Unconditional. She says, willing to experience aloneness, I discover connection everywhere. This is what we're doing here. Turning to face my fear, I meet the warrior who lives within. Opening to my loss, I gain the embrace of the universe. Surrendering into emptiness, I find fullness without end. Each condition I flee from pursues me. Each condition I welcome transforms me and becomes itself transformed into its radiant jewel-like essence. I bow to the one who has made it so, who has crafted this master game. To play it is pure delight, to honor its form, true devotion. So it takes courage to be willing to face it all, but there's how we grow and wake up. Just being willing to face and hold and find our center and then be able to share it with others. So I think I'll stop here and um, see, can open it up to some comments or questions uh, uh, from the day. And again, I. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.